Hi, I'm Dr. Whitney Hauser, and welcome to Dry Eye Coach Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Selena McGee. Selena is a private practitioner and owner of Precision Vision of Edmond, and she's also the president of the Oklahoma Association of Optometric Physicians. Welcome, Selena. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good. I love that we both are on the line together talking, and we're both going to have accents. And we just say that right out of the gate. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so hopefully the listeners will not need translators for this, but I, I love, you know, having that shared uh, shared accent with you. So um, we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions, and just to get your perspective on things, I think what's interesting is, you know, a lot of uh, experts in the field, particularly of dry eye, work in a lot of different areas. They work in tertiary dry centers, which I've been affiliated with. They work in ophthalmology practices. Some of them work in private practice, but we don't hear quite as much of that voice. So I'm really anxious to kind of get your perspective on on that today. So the first question I'm going to jump in with is why, from your perspective, is patient education on dry eye so important? How does that fit into what you do with your patients every day? So it's a, it's a great question, and I'm glad you led with the fact that I'm in private practice because I think, honestly, it makes so much sense in private practice, maybe even more so than in a tertiary setting or a, a co-management setting, simply because most patients don't recognize their symptoms with dry eye disease, and it affects every piece of private practice. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you have an optical like I do, if you don't treat their dry eye, they're going to come back with a, a glasses RX check. And we all know that, you know, time is money. And so when you spend that on a glasses RX check, and in fact, it's ocular surface disease that we missed, then that's a huge piece to that. Contact lens patients. Lots of private practices have huge contact lens practices, mine included, and so if we don't do a good job of assessing the ocular surface and making sure that is stable, then your contact lens patients are going to suffer and you're going to spend more chair time doing refits. And then if you're co-managing your, your surgical patients and the patients that I work with and a lot of cataract patients these days, they want, they have such good premium options but if we don't have a premium surface to deal with, once they get to the surgeon, they're not going to have a premium outcome. And then, of course, in private practice, you know, we have patients with glaucoma. We have patients that we're the first line of defense. And so if we don't do a good job of assessing and teaching our patients what dry eye disease looks like and what the symptoms are, then, you know, we can miss a lot of things, including, you know, even something like, uh, pass down the the disease of Sjogren's, and we know how dangerous that is because those patients unrecognized are much more likely to get lymphoma. And so I think there's such a huge opportunity for private practitioners to really embrace them, embrace this and set themselves apart. You know, the education as I asked that question was was really kind of directed at how to how does education play a role with the patient directly. But really there's almost two different ways that you can see that question. And I think that you sort of embraced both angles of it, which is one, we're we're educating the patient in dry disease about all the things that optometry can offer 
to them, even if they're not highly symptomatic. I think I think that's an important piece because when you get a patient who gradually becomes very symptomatic, they don't necessarily think about calling their optometrist. Sometimes they're going to go down the road of that tertiary center, that ophthalmology practice. And I think that proactive education on just what uh, what our role is in their lives is important. And then secondly, like you said, educating them on the broader uh, scope of what dry means to them. It's not just about gritty, irritated, you know, fluctuating vision. It also has some very significant systemic effects for some of our um, patients as well. So a really interesting perspective that you lend on that one. Now, what are some of the specific tactics that you've implemented to educate your patients? I mean, you know, let's get into the weeds a little bit. How do you really sure. dig in and talk to patients specifically? So it has to be, we have to create awareness because like most people and my patients, they don't come in saying, oh, my eyes are dry and I need you to help me. That is hardly ever the case. They come in. Wouldn't you love it? Wouldn't you love yes. it if they did? If they came in <laughs> exactly. like wearing a sign around their neck saying, I, I have, have dry eyes. Eye <laughs> <laughs> that would make all of our lives so much easier. But that is so much easier. This yes. is not allergy. Can I have that on the sign too? <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> and so we have to create that awareness, but we have to do it in the way that the patient really hears us. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is we have to we have to dig. And so specific tactics that I utilize in the clinic, they have those patients just like we do. We have to hear things typically multiple times to really embrace it. And so at my front desk, my director of first impressions, she says whenever that she's doing her intake form, you know, one in three people have dry eye disease that's undiagnosed. Please walk through this questionnaire and, and assess yourself on these different symptoms, and then you guys can talk more about it in the back. So based on that specific questionnaire, which has dry eye questions, which also has questions around ocular and, and uh, facial rosacea, and then also have some sleep apnea questions. But that's the first step is creating that awareness piece. And then once they move into the, when the technician picks them up, then I have a protocol in place. If they answer two or more on the dry eye piece, then they automatically get osmolarity and inflammatory dry before I even walk in the room. So, yeah, hold, you know, and they, hold right there. Let me ask you sure. a question. So, and you probably have encountered the same thing because I know that you speak a lot about dry eye disease. A lot of um, colleagues will say, you know, the, someone at the front desk, and I love the title of your, your front desk uh, as well, uh, Director of First Impressions, that's awesome. Um, but a lot of them will say, you know, my, my employees don't want to pass out another thing. My patients don't want to fill out another thing. And there's immediate resistance to survey, whether it be a validated survey, a personalized survey that you're creating. What is your impression or your impression from your staff about the, the uptake of those surveys? So great question because there's a lot that happens at that at that front desk. Um, to me, that's the hardest job in the entire clinic. Amen. And so they don't answer the phone. They're doing nothing except direct patient communication face to face. There's no other mm -hmm. activity that should be going on there besides that. And right. so I've I've empowered my staff to fully understand why that's so important. And right. I do get the 
I mean, I sit up there sometimes just to see what goes on and plenty of patients look at this and roll their eyes and like, oh, I got to fill out something else. Mm -hmm. But when, you know, when they hear the piece of, wait, you said how many people have this and they're doing it right in front of us, we don't get that much pushback. But let's say that, you know, if we have a patient that that we get pushback from and they don't really want to fill it out and they move on with the technician. So, and the wheels start to fall off. But when the technician gets them, then they can ask the questions in a different way. So you you wind up with a second piece to that. And then let's say that the wheels fall off at the front desk and with the technician, then when I come in, I still ask the questions maybe similarly, but in a different way. So there's three opportunities there to really get the information you're you're driving for. So right. you know, my advice is don't give up, um, but don't ask too much of what your your front staff is having. It needs to be simple. And once they understand and are empowered with that information, it tends to go a lot better. And here's one of the things that I think I've seen over the years as as both a doctor and as a patient at different offices. You have these intake forms. And you, as a patient, you sit there and you fill this intake form out, and then you get past the front desk through the moving through the process, like you said, to technician and doctor, and no one ever mentions that survey again. And in fact, a lot of times you're asked a lot of the same questions the second time, and it's really frustrating to patients. And I think that's where a lot of their resistance comes from is they do these things and it leads to nowhere. But I think in your practice, you're actually taking the information and utilizing it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. And I also have, I like pictures. And so <laughs> I, I've, I've broken up the survey with pictures. So, yeah, because I, I do some aesthetic stuff too, but there's also, you know, a picture of a red eye and a picture of, you know, frown lines and, you know, check these if these are you. So it's not super wordy. It's not really long. It's very, it's very easy and straightforward. But you're exactly right. If you implement something and then you never touch it again, that's frustrating for everybody. Right. And I'm probably like a lot of your patients. I would probably like the pictures. And not to sound overly simplistic, but I tell you, you give me a clipboard full of words all of a sudden I don't care to even fill it out as accurately as I would otherwise. I think that yeah. I think the presentation of the survey is what also leads to engagement. So I think that's a, a great concept that you have there. So what role uh, does your office and kind of team play in dry education? We've sort of talked about the intake. Where did they take that the ball from there? So um, once the once the intake form happens, that intake floats with the the patient all the way through the office and Mm -hmm. so then that the technician knows okay i need to do these other couple of tests before she sees or he she's he or she sees myself um in the room and so it really is a team effort i mean if you try to implement anything on your own you're going to be super frustrated and it's going to fail ethically so you have to empower your team and they have to understand the, the why of this so that they can help you. Um, and so I'm a huge believer of let's talk about this, let's walk through the scenario, let's implement it, whether it's perfect or not, and then revisit it in four or six weeks. Okay, what worked about this? What didn't work? Um, and actually, I mean, this intake form that I've done, I think I'm on the third or fourth revision just this year. because. Right. If you know when you try something once, it's not likely going to work as well as you want it to. So 
I rely heavily on my team and I listen to them when they tell me this is not working, we have to find a different and better way. So you just have to really make sure that the people that you surround yourself with can help you see your patients in an effective manner and communicate what you're trying to communicate to your patients. And that's easier said than done, but you cannot go this alone. Well, and I love a lot of what you've just said there because it is a team effort. And, you know, to a degree over the years, you hear the word team and it's sort of drilled into people about being a team and so forth. But particularly with dry disease, it is a Herculean effort sometimes. And for the doctor to do all the lifting in the exam room, you're right, it's going to be an epic failure. It's just not going to, especially if you're looking at uh, things like thermal treatments and tense pulse light, you know, moving the needle at the end of the road is really hard to do. But when you have that sort of incremental build throughout the patient experience, I think you're going to have a much better conversion rate, much better uptake of things. The other thing that you said that is incredibly valuable, and I think a lot of practices probably don't embrace this the way that they should, is be willing to fail, be willing to be open to revising. And what I really liked about what you said, and you kind of snuck it in there, was in four to six weeks, you give it a timeline. Give it a timeline to reassess this. Because what a lot of doctors do is they start and then they kind of get distracted by the next thing they're doing or by the things they used to do and they don't revisit things in an orderly fashion. If you don't go back and look at it, you're never going to make those revisions. You're never going to have that opportunity to improve. Absolutely. So that's great, great advice that you're that you're providing. So I guess, you know, a lot of times we look at things and we see all the opportunities for for treating drive for both our practice and our patients. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that your patients have when it comes to dry disease? What are the things that they're they're missing? I think that they miss all of the pieces that really affect their day-to-day life. Um, I think if we don't do a good enough job educating them, they they miss the fact that this is a, a chronic disease. And you know, they miss the fact that, hey, my contact lenses are, are just not comfortable. I just, I need something different, Doc. Um, that one's huge. You know, I still hear, you know, my vision's just not as clear as I want it to be. Can't you just sharpen up my glasses a little bit? Lots of, of misconceptions there. And then since I've treated dry eye for so long, I think one of my biggest frustrations is they get to feeling better and then they stop what they've been doing and, and now we regress. And so I've gotten better at trying to tell that story to my patients at the beginning so that they hear it. And, you know, your temptation is going to be that when we do start to feel better, you're going to get lax on some of these things because, I mean, this is really truly a lifestyle change. We're not going to do, you know, one or two things forever and and that's going to continue to hold you and then not do anything ever again. And right. because there are so many, you know, treatments, and I mean, I offer thermal pulsation, I have IPL, you know, I have all of these pieces in my practice. And so we really have to tell that story on the front end that we're not going to get instant gratification. We did not get here overnight. We're not going to fix you overnight. But I promise you, I will be in this journey with you together. And we will step by step, take care of you. And so you know, I think that's the biggest misconception is they want something quick and easy and fast and done. And permanent. Right, right. What I also hear you saying is that our patients tend to sort of silo their symptoms. 
So if they have trouble with their contacts, fix my contacts. If they have trouble with how their eyes feel, fix how my eyes feel. And if they have, you know, refractive or visual changes, fix those things. Aesthetics. The other component of dry that's very commonly overlooked by practitioners is patients don't like how they look. Their eyes look red or glassy or things along those lines. So they've got all these different complaints. They want you to go fix that one complaint. And it's really our job to see it's the overarching dry eye that's really at the root of many of their their complaints and educate on it. That's a, that's a tough education probably for some of the patients to, to take in. Yes, and they, you know, and that comes back to the team piece, and they have, they really have to hear it more than once. Um, right. You know, so, it, it, you know, it, it's just that, that journey and, and walking them through it. Right. So, all right, we're going to say you've walked them through it, that you've done the, the team component, you've started the build from the front of the office all the way to the back of the office. They get to you, you make the diagnosis of dry eye disease. You can, how do you now educate them on the treatment options? You've already said that you've got thermal pulsation. You've got intense pulse light. I'm sure you're writing ophthalmic prescriptions and so forth. So how do you now begin that education process? Because frankly, a lot of practitioners are daunted by having so many tools in the toolbox now. Sure. I mean, I, I, and it is, it, it can be overwhelming. And so I actually, let me take a step back because I kind sure. of start that process through the exam and I, it's a really key piece that I have found very helpful. So mm-hmm. it's easier for patients to understand something when they're the ones that, that bring it up. And so my key questions that I ask, and I've tried to train myself to do this when I think I've asked enough questions and I need to ask one more <laughs> and that's kept me sometimes out of trouble. Um, right. But so one of the things that I, I love to ask is, you know, walk me through your typical day. I need to understand how you utilize your vision through your day. And that way I get to know how they're using their eyes, what that looks like for them, because everybody's individual. And then I ask them, you know, do your eyes ever itch? Do they water? Do they burn? And I used to stop right there. And mm-hmm. now what I do is I ask, tell me about that. Do you use any drops? And if so, what drops are you using? And then the clincher is, do they help? And the patient always says, you know what? They help for a little bit because typically they're on something we don't want them on, Visine, Clear Eyes, whatever it is on the market that we don't want them on, that's what they're utilizing. (laughs) And when (laughs) when you ask that question of, do they help? Then they have come up with their own solution right there. They're like, you know what? It doesn't help. I need something more. And so that's when I, the ophthalmic prescription comes in. And so when they say that, now I have a good opportunity to talk about, okay, you know what? This is a disease. We need to treat inflammation that's causing this problem. And so I write lots of prescriptions for restasis. And I do not wait. Um, If they have symptoms and they have even stage one level clinical signs, which is elicitamine staining, then they get a prescription that day. I'm not waiting to treat this down the road. But what I have found so helpful and I don't get pushback is that last question, is what you're doing helping? Because it's it's not. And so my patients right. will leave my patients will leave with a prescription for recessive. They're doing home heat therapy and if they're not on a good omega three, then we add that or we may switch what they're doing if it's not something that that I want them on. And then just teaching good habits if they have a lot of computer time, blink reflex, get up and take a break, sitting is the new smoking. 
and then I recheck them in four weeks. And that key piece, and I walked them through this, of this is going to be steps. We're going to start here. We may need to build on this. This may be enough, but we're going to start here, and then we'll step it up if we need to as we go. What I like about what you're telling me is not only how you're getting the patient to sort of acknowledge the limitations of things like artificial tears, but also that you give them a more kind of a horizontal perspective, if you will, because, you know, a lot of doctors, I've had the, the pleasure of sort of sitting in with some of my colleagues over the years and watching them educate patients as a consultant, and they don't give a very definitive path a lot of times. And they also don't necessarily always say, this is not something I can cure, fix. You know, there's no magic bullet for it. However, here's my, here's my you know, long-term plan for you, and we're going to start here. And I think having that you know, long-term plan established, and you certainly don't have to tell them every detail of what you're going to do over the next 20 years for them, but at least saying, this is, here's my you know, short-term and mid-term objectives for you. I think that matters. I think that helps to reinforce the chronicity of it. And I like what you're, what you're saying and how you're doing that with your patients. I think it's really important and often overlooked. I think it, it just, I mean, and this has all, you know, come about because I failed early. <laughs> because, you know, if you don't do those steps, then I would have patients that would come back and they're like, oh, well, now I have to do more? What? How long am I going to have to take right. these drops? You know, lots of questions. And so I've learned the hard way um, and failed at a few of those to get this conversation right for the patient. Well, and the other thing that it does is it says that you acknowledge that you have other, you know, tools at your disposal that you can use if needed. It also acknowledges the customization of the treatment that you're providing, that it's not a one-size-fits-all. And finally, it says, I'm not just guessing at this. And I think a lot of us, unfortunately, come across as just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I get that it's very different patient to patient. And and there's a difference between being customized and guessing. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes that perception for the patient isn't always there. So I, I love what you're doing about how you're giving that little bit of a detailed explanation for how you see their care going. Definitely. You know, and I, I think the, you have to say it with confidence, and that's something that, that comes with working with patients and getting some wins. But if you don't believe in what you're talking about, the patient knows that. And so right. they're, much, you know, they're much more apt. And I'm sure, you, you know, like you just said, if you sit in and, and watch people talk, and I've had plenty of people sit in with, and watch me, and I'm like, please critique and I, the biggest takeaway is you have to you have to say it with authority, and you have to say it with I know what I'm doing. I'm not like you just said. I'm not guessing at this, and we're going to do this. And if this doesn't work, then we'll do X, Y, and Z. And here's the path we're going to go on, but we're going to do it together. And I just yeah. think that's hugely powerful. And typically, just as a, a profession, we're sometimes, and myself included, we're not always maybe as confident as we should be. Um, but our patients know that. So I think that's an important piece to practice. Well, I think you raise an excellent point. You know, I often tell practices that I consult with, when you're not confident and you haven't worked out your presentation skills, it is like blood in the water. You know, it is a feeding frenzy at that point. They know that you don't know what you're talking about or they suspect that you don't. 
and immediately you're going to lose conversions on whatever it is, whether it's them even up taking an ophthalmic prescription or doing something that's an out-of-pocket expense to them. So the presentation skills, I mean, what you just said, most people would disagree with. You know, you said, I want somebody to come in and critique me. Most people, that's their greatest fear is that someone will come in and critique them. But through that awkward, uncomfortable role play scenario, you really learn how you're saying things wrong. And once, you know, we leave school, really no one's listening to us anymore in the lane. You know, that door is closed and it's up to us to either sink or swim. And you get sort of into these habits of how you present things to patients. I think it's a wonderful idea to have, you know, staff listen to you, a colleague, a friend, a spouse, and, you know, present whatever you choose in your office to present, whether it's a nutraceutical or a thermal pulsation, and then start to really learn how you could be doing that better. Because I think that we avoid that pain point that you sort of embrace, and you're, you're a rarity with that. Uh, even I think that role play is pretty, pretty tough, but, but you learn so much from doing it. Definitely. I mean, I, and it, it's never easy, but that's the only way that you're going to get better. And one thing that I love, and especially if you work in a practice with other doctors, like just go scribe with them for a couple of patients and listen to right. how, oh, that's yeah, hugely helpful. It is. I mean, because, it is. you know, I, I catch myself saying stuff that I learned 20 years ago and I'm like, is that really relevant? Surely there's a better way by now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, it's so, true. I mean, I, I can, I still say like a phrase or two from my preceptor when I was an extern because it resonated with me at the time. And just think that's your like last time to shadow people. Now, if you, you take that opportunity and go in and and take away some positives from a colleague, that is a great opportunity. Well, Selena, I really appreciate your time and, and joining us today for the podcast. Thank you, Whitney. I had a good time. Hopefully everybody took some took something away. Well, I did. So, you know, if, if nothing <laughs> else, I took I took plenty away. So and we uh we'd like to thank you all for joining us as well for Dry Eye Poach Coach Podcast. Uh join us again soon. We'll be bringing more to you on iTunes. Thanks so much. Okay, that was awesome. That was so